Good morning. For New England Public Radio News, I'm Henry Epp. Sixty-five years ago, a taxi pulled to a stop in front of the Drew family's home in East Hampton, Massachusetts. The cab was empty, no passenger. The driver had a message, a military telegram. It said the family's 18-year-old son, Army Corporal Kenneth Bobby Drew, after only a few months serving in Korea, was missing in action. Larry Parnas, editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette's written about Bobby Drew's disappearance, Parnas says the telegram, the mystery, and the loss remains with the family today. Anyone knew from the time uh, by reading coverage of the war in Korea that uh, things had gone very badly for UN forces in this area in the Chosen Reservoir. Um, All the Drew family was told was that he'd gone missing. They'd heard from him independently that he'd been taken prisoner for 13 days, but he'd uh, managed to escape, lost some teeth, uh, was pressed back into service, and all he knew for a year until he was declared presumed dead was that he was missing in action. I asked Carol LaValle, uh, one of Bobby's sisters, what uh, effect that had on the family. Well, it always left you feeling like maybe there's a chance. There just might be a chance, and you never thought any differently. You never thought of it as being a final. And we used to sit and watch the TV and see them coming off a plane or off a boat and thinking, wow, is he in there, you know? And even thinking sometimes you thought you saw him. That's how it was for us. So it had this uh, particularly hard impact on Evelyn, uh, the mother. How did that manifest in Evelyn? Uh, Her children recall her working long hours, taking extra jobs. Uh, At one point, uh, a document surfaced, uh, a letter to the military that Evelyn wrote, and she said she had taken extra work, as did her husband, just so they could keep their minds off of their troubles. She thought that if she worked a lot of hours that she'd be able to sleep better at night. But growing up in a family, I felt like that also robbed me of the time I could have spent with my mother because she was so working so much trying to live with this and not knowing anything. You know, uh, Carol believes that her mother went to an early grave because of the stress she uh, faced over wondering whether her son Bobby would ever come home. She died at age 63 in 1970. Hmm. So years later, uh, Carol's daughter Uh, And Kenneth's, uh, or Bobby's niece, Sharon Nickerson, went looking for more details about her uncle's disappearance. And what did she find, and what was that process like? Well, it was extraordinary, and uh, we wouldn't have been able to tell the story that we did in the Gazette without uh, all of the work that Sharon Nickerson uh, did between roughly 1990 and the turn of the century. Uh, She went after every possible survivor of the chosen uh, endeavor that she could find. Uh, She had... uh, notes put in veterans' newsletters, and slowly over the years she heard back from veterans, and eventually um, even from several men who believed they remembered him and served with him. She finally heard from one veteran that gave her some some key details, she believed, uh, to the death of, of her uncle, right? That's right. She uh, she had written to one uh, veteran, Raul Rudy Reyes Sr., uh, it took him two years to get back to her. He was apologetic, and he said he really wanted to be sure about the information that he provided her. And it was because she'd been able to send him a picture of her Uncle Bobby. He got that picture. He recognized this face, this 18-year-old uh, from 60-some years ago. And uh, he recalled precise aspects of their final days as they made this horrific retreat 
from the Chosen Reservoir area at a time when uh, North Korean and Chinese forces outnumbered the UN forces by about 10 to 1. It was the end of a several day long uh, struggle to go about 12 miles, uh, enduring constant ambushes in temperatures that were as low as 30 degrees below zero. Totally hellish situation, uh, and this man was able to explain what it was they were facing. And uh, given all that they were facing, does he know exactly what might have happened to uh, Bobby Drew? Most of the men who were even making that trek were wounded, some still fighting, uh, some just being carried in trucks. Drivers of the trucks were being shot and, uh, and replaced as they tried to, to make this terrible route down south. There is no eyewitness to him falling uh, in an ambush or in combat, uh, but it seems quite likely that he, uh, that he was shot um, or died of exposure. And at the time, the Chinese forces were, uh, were burning the remains uh, of all the enemy they were, they were fighting, as well as their material. So uh, that was his end you know, in this very cold place and under this terrible uh, outnumbered forces. So despite uh, that story, the family has never gotten definitive evidence in the form of DNA evidence of Bobby's death. And Sharon, uh, the niece, uh, says she feels some disappointment. Well, it's it's very sad because up until recently, all of my mother's brothers and sisters were alive, and it was only in the last five years or so that um, two of them passed away, and it would have been nice to have some closure, you know, before that happened for all of them, but um, that just didn't happen. Larry, does Sharon still hold out any hope of being able to formally put her uncle to rest? I think she does, and I think uh, her mother does as well, and her, and her uncles and aunts. Uh, it's just a very re- remote possibility now. Uh, they have supplied DNA to the Army, uh, which maintains a, uh, a testing service in Hawaii. And just this month, some remains that had been exchanged from north to south in the 90s were identified. So this process goes on, and it's not beyond imagining that uh, Bobby Drew's remains could still come home to East Hampton. All right. Well, Larry Parnas, thanks so much for talking to me. You're welcome, Henry.